Welcome to Podcasting for Coaches. I'm Brittany Felix, and I'm a podcast launch consultant who specializes in helping coaches and consultants utilize the power of podcasting as a way to build brand awareness and generate new leads for their business. I realize not every new coach or consultant can afford to hire someone to help launch their show, so I created this podcast as a way to guide you through the process of launching and utilizing your very own podcast to help you grow your business and reach a new audience of adoring followers and potential clients. If you're ready to get your voice and podcast out into the world, head over to podcastingforcoaches.com to learn more. Welcome to 84 of Podcasting for Coaches. It is nice to be back. I took the month of June off, if you're not aware, to take some time to process and do some inner work around anti-racism and everything that has just been happening in the country. And I also had some personal family issues, some health issues, um, relative pass away, those kinds of things. So June was super fun, but I'm really excited to bring you this interview with Dr. Lucretia Berry. She's somebody that I actually heard as a guest on one of my clients' shows. And once I heard her, I, one, knew I had to get into her program, which we're going to talk about today. But two, I also really wanted to have her come on the show because as podcasters and business people in this crazy time that is happening right now, it can be a little intimidating to know how to talk about these topics while also still making money so that you can pay your bills and feed your family. So I'm going to read you Dr. Barry's bio, and then we're just going to get right into the content of the episode. So Dr. Lucretia Barry is the founder of Brownicity, an agency dedicated to advocacy, education, and support for racial healing and anti-racism. She is a former college professor whose love for humanity led her to write What Lies Between Us, Fostering First Steps Towards Racial Healing, a journey guide designed specifically for beginners. She is the anti-race-slash-racism curriculum specialist for Community School of Davidson in North Carolina, a TEDx speaker, and a whole host of other amazing, amazing things. In this episode, Dr. Barry and I talk about the importance of really getting some basics down when you're going to be discussing these kinds of topics, because it's really easy to make some mistakes and not even realize that's what you're doing. So in part one of our conversation, we talk about the difference between the words black and African-American, why you need to capitalize the word black, the difference between not being racist and being an anti-racist. And then one really interesting perspective that I learned from Dr. Barry by going through her program, Brownicity, which I am currently a member of, is the difference between a debate, a discussion, and a dialogue. So many people are like, well, we need to have a discussion about this. We really need to all start talking with each other and just sit down and have a discussion. And Dr. Barry's going to point out why that is actually not the right approach to take. And it is not discussions that we should be having. And all of that we're going to talk about today. And next week in part two, be sure that you come back for that second half because we're going to talk about specifically how to get into talking about these topics in such a public way and coming back from a break if you have taken one as a result of everything going on. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope that you enjoy my interview with Dr. Barry. Lucretia, thank you so much for being on the show today. As we talked a little bit in the pre-interview chat, I am super, super excited to have you here. And I know that my listeners are going to find our conversations extremely valuable because a lot of them 
are like I was a few weeks ago, like I still am just really unsure and uncomfortable and feel like they're going to say the wrong thing all the time. So they're kind of scared to talk about these topics of racism, anti-racism, how to be a good ally. And with having a business and talking in such a public way on a podcast, it can be really intimidating to know when to speak up and when to hold back and what to say and being afraid of cancel culture right now. So if you don't mind, I kind of want to just dive into this here because we have a lot of a lot of things to cover in a short <laughs> period of time. So I think it's important to get some of the language down right off the bat and like okay. in terms of writing and speaking. So I know that I personally, you know, growing up a white woman, I grew up, I was a child in the 90s. Like we had all the things that come with that, being a privileged little white girl. <laughs> so I was always taught that, you know, that the PC term in air quotes is African-American. And so I've noticed that a lot of the people that are are my age range, my ethnicity and those kinds of things, we're struggling with even just being comfortable using the word black, especially, you know, white people. It feels really taboo to use the word black. It feels almost like an insult because that's kind of what our parents taught us is, is you know, that's not the right term. Like you say, <laughs> African-American. And so now we just kind of struggle even just saying the word. So what language should we be using when referencing people of color and everything that is happening in the world right now? Well, I mean, it is good that you know that people of color, so people of color means anybody who is non-white. We have to understand that we have ethnicities or we are ethnicities, but we also have been put in racial categories like, you know, white and, and black. So historically mm -hmm. in the United States, you know, with the census, those were the categories, so white <laughs> and black, <laughs> and then they added other. So right. there's that. And of course it has expanded to become more inclusive of a broader story that we all are encompassed in, but those are essentially uh, racial categories. Now, there was a point where Black meant, you know, African-American, but currently Black has become the term meant for anyone who is a descendant of the African diaspora. So, of course, so again, you have to have history or mm -hmm. to know the history of how, of course, Africans were taken from the continent and taken to, you know, various continents you know, as workers, as laborers, um, and enslaved. And so if you are descendant from that, or even, you know, now, if you just come from Africa, you fit in the broader category of, of Black. So, for example, I can, I can go to South Africa, and there, you know, Black is still my, my racial category. And then in the United States, those of us, like me, who are descendants of enslaved Africans who were brought to America, we are African-Americans. So my friend who is Black, but from Jamaica, mm -hmm. she is not African-American. She is Jamaican-American. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the terms are different. And for African-Americans, I mean, I can't speak for us all because, mm -hmm. and it does depend sometimes on the generation. Some people prefer the term African-American. Some people prefer the term Black. But when you get to know people and they're your friends, you can always simply ask. But again, when you're talking about broader, like the African diaspora, you either say that or you say Black. And then when you're talking specifically about descendants of formerly enslaved Africans, that's an African-American. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. And another thing that I am seeing more and more as I enter these conversations is capitalization of the word Black. Right. And that is because... Black is also is a culture, is a recognized culture. So it's different than just a racialized category like white. 
So Black has now become not just this imposed upon culture that exists outside of the majority culture. It's its own culture, but encompasses things that make up a culture. And so we capitalize it to give it the respect and to elevate it to the degree of humanity that it deserves. Thank you for that explanation. Mm -hmm. The next thing I want to kind of define is the difference between not being racist and being (laughs) (laughs) anti-racist. Because there are a lot of people who are, you know, like, well, well, of course I'm not racist. I have a black friend. Yeah. Uh, You know, so, and that is not great. (laughs) So let's maybe kind of define the difference between not being racist and being anti-racist. Okay. So essentially we can be in the status quo and going with the flow of things. So let's just take Moms Against Drunk Drivers. Mm -hmm. That's a a movement and an organization that we are familiar with that was kind of birthed out of all the travesties that occurred from drunk drivers, you know, who were unfortunately causing fatalities. Mm -hmm. So like you could just say, well, I don't drive drunk and that's good enough, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm a non-drunk driver. But to be actively, you know, to be active it would be like, OK, I'm going to form an organization or I'm going to be intentional about putting things in place that would prohibit drunk drivers from destroying lives. So that's that's kind of the difference. So now we have stiffer laws in place because of Moms Against Drunk Drivers. You know, we have an organization, Mm -hmm. we have a protocol, we have policies, we have all of these things in place to disrupt and interrupt kind of the culture of drunk driving that was happening. So same thing with racism to a degree. Um, You can say, you can say, well, you know, I'm I'm not racist, but that does nothing to engage in dismantling the policies, the practices, the beliefs, the systems that have all worked to create kind of this culture, this very race-based and racist culture that we are, you know, we've just been, you know, cultivated. Right. And so to be anti-racist means that you are actively kind of going in the opposite direction, you know, pulling down false um, ideologies and false beliefs. You're intentionally addressing um, harmful practices. You're even looking for the gaps um, that have, that are exist because of, you know, historical racist practices. Mm -hmm. So it's, yes, active. You're being very intentional about, you know, the books you read and the authors you follow. And like, I have one friend who she is white. Her family is white. She jokes that she they are very white because they're very fair-skinned. She intentionally enrolls her children and herself in extracurricular activities where they are the racial minority. Mm. She's trying to intentionally like break the kind of the status quo racializing that occurs when you maintain the racial, like kind of homogeneous groups. Mm-hmm. That is fantastic. And that's something that I personally have had to learn because all my mm-hmm. life, like I've lived in a very like open and welcoming family. Like I Mm -hmm. never would have classified myself, you know, as, as being racist in any shape, way or form, but I had to learn, you know, within the past month and a half that that's not the same thing. Anti-racism was Mm -hmm. never a term that I heard before. And so that was a shift that my mind had to make. And I did have to break down Mm -hmm. and deconstruct (laughs) all the ways that I never (laughs) realized 
that racism was inherent just in my upbringing, mm-hmm. not by my parents, but by my school system, by the, right. the programs I watched on TV who had all mm-hmm. white casts. Mm-hmm. And those are those are the things that I think a lot of people just don't see because they've never had to confront it before. Right. So as uncomfortable as all of this is, anyone listening, you know, for you listening, I really hope that you do this work and that you look into brownicity because it's wonderful and it creates a safe space where you can explore these things and deconstruct everything that you've that has been instilled into you and that you didn't even realize. Right. So as we move into having these discussions, we do this in our work and we start to learn these things and we want to become more actively involved in anti-racism. There are ways to have these conversations that are constructive and ways that are not. And Mm -hmm. I love that you break down in Brownicity this difference between a debate, a discussion, and a dialogue. Do you mind explaining the difference between those three things? Right. Okay, so I'll first say that we typically in pop culture don't have dialogue because Mm -hmm. we've we've inherited the colorblind approach, which has robbed us of language and a framework. And it's kind of this fundamental understanding that we need to be able to have healthy, gold-oriented conversations or engage in the discourse that would move us further. Because we we don't have that and we're kind of, we tend to just be informed by like a whitewashed history or very European-centered history mm-hmm. or sometimes just anecdotal stories or what you see on the news and even political platforms. I know mm-hmm. some people will tell me, like, <laughs> I'm not political. And then they'll just recite a whole political platform regarding race. And I'm like, right. oh gosh, you don't even know. But it's just because they don't know. Like fundamentally, our institutions of education have done us a disservice because we have these de- this deficit of understanding race as a mechanism and how race is not biological or genetic, but was created by policies and beliefs and practices, you know, in terms of sorting people and mm-hmm. benefiting some and divesting others. So people think that the goal is to debate. And with a debate, debate, you have, you know, might is right. So that becomes about, well, I'm stronger than you, or I have more talking points or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, so, and, there, and the thing is, there is no debate. You know, I tell this to my high school students <laughs> at the beginning of the year, and then they're in awe for the rest of the year. This was an acceptable practice. Like racism and racist ideas were so acceptable that it's all written down. No one was yeah. hiding it. It was nothing to be embarrassed about. So all you have to do is just show people, here it is written right here. Policies, even in the, you know, the constitution, it's all written there. So there's no debate. Like you either are for anti-racism or you're not. Like, you know, <laughs> there's no debate there. And there are no sides. It's like you're either working against racism or you're for it. Mm-hmm. Maybe those are the sides, you know, but there's not this like, well, if if I win, that means, you know, racism loses or wins. You know, p- people come at it from that perspective. And so there really isn't a debate. I mean, you need to be educated so you have a foundation. One of my favorite quotes I've heard is, Equally informed people seldom disagree. Mm. So that's why it's important to have an education because then you, there's no disagreeing. Right. You know, you're equally informed. And so you can have this dialogue. And then that brings me to discussion. And I know that, you know, discussion is such a common word. And oftentimes we want to kind of create maybe a kumbaya, you know, table and say, okay, everybody with all your differences, come to the table and let's talk. That's dangerous on so many levels <laughs> because <laughs> you have people who know very little and a discussion, it's like, the noisier, you know, the smarter. So the person, again, you know, I have more talking points or mm-hmm. I have all of these things to say. And it really just dis- like discussions encourage talking 
when oftentimes we should be listening, you know, and learning, like taking in instead of putting out in terms of first steps, you know, first steps are like, okay, be quiet and learn, you know, mm-hmm. learn, 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 <laughs> not talk, 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 talk. Right. <laughs> and so that's why, again, it's, it can be a tough conversation because people want to start with the discussion. And I got to tell you, when I ever I'm invited to a discussion, I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And trauma specialists are saying, you know, that's actually traumatizing people more. And so then that brings me to dialogue. And then dialogue is connectivity or community. So you have a goal. So what's your goal? So typically when I, because I'm a teacher, I cultivate learning experiences. And so my goal is to get you from, you know, I didn't know this to now mm-hmm. I know that. You know? <laughs> so now I know it. Right. And so that's our goal. And so we move forward together, trying to reach the goal. And that's, you know, why it's important to start with dialogue or be equipped so that you can engage in dialogue. Perfect. Yeah, I love that. It seems like debate, especially the goal is to win, not mm-hmm. to learn, right. not to grow, not to evolve. Right. It's to yeah. win. And even discussion, it makes sense when you say, well, let's come together and have a discussion about this. Mm-hmm. It's usually because there are opposing opposing viewpoints and you right. think what's going to happen is everyone's going to magically start understanding everyone else's side. And no, because you're still coming into that with a, well, this is my stance and I want to share what that is. They want to be heard. Right. <laughs> so speaking about education, that can get really iffy <laughs> depending on where you're getting your education from. That's so true. <laughs> yes. One thing that I mean, I guess, fortunately, I did learn this years ago, so it wasn't something I had to learn this time around. But a lot of people still think that a way to be an ally is to ask Black people, well, what can I do? How can I help you? Yeah. And it's not a Black person's job to educate a white person on all of this. And just like you said, it it makes them relive trauma over and over Mm -hmm. and over again every time they have to think about this and talk about this in educating somebody else and doing the work for them. So what do you recommend for somebody? And of course, we can talk about brownicity here, but what do you recommend Mm -hmm. for somebody who's starting this anti-racism journey and they're not quite sure where to go to get this unbiased education? And, you know, they don't want to put the onus on somebody else. They want to do the work themselves. Right. Well, first, I do want to address this myth that Black people know the stuff. Because that's not necessarily the case either. And when I first started to teach publicly, my classes, like of adults, were uh, multi-ethnic and multiracial. And there were several people of color who would say, like, they didn't know this stuff. Mm-hmm. And when they learned it, you know, it validated them more. Like, it gave their stories and their experiences more context. And so they needed to start at the very same place you know, of a foundational understanding to actually like jumpstart their own healing. Yeah. So there's that part like this, (laughs) because you have a black friend, doesn't mean that they actually understand things to a degree beyond their own story. Now, some might, but we can't assume that they do. And yeah, that's why I, again, a part of my cultivating a psychologically safe space is so that you know, we can learn together. So if I, you know, not if I am (laughs) African-American, but like I, there are things that, you know, I need to learn. And um, I'll just say my husband who was white. So like, you know, he would need to learn, but we need a space that's cultivated, you know, so we can learn separately because some people have that approach or if you're in spaces together, 
there needs to be things in place that you aren't kind of engaging in this like trauma informed mm-hmm. way of, yeah, a way of doing things. And the great thing about right now is there, there are so many great resources. I would say five years ago, it was a little diff- difficult. And even me, I thought, because my edu- my background is in education, mm-hmm. you know, when I was within the walls of academia, I thought that the world was learning the same thing that I was learning because that was all the great resources were there. And then I came out from behind those walls and, oh, no, the resources aren't out here. And so Brownicity is kind of this bridge between the good quality instruction and form scholarly instruction that is available on a college campus, if you so choose to engage, but bridge that to families who, you know, you can't pay thousands of dollars, you know, to take a class or, you you know, so to bring that same heart and intention to educate. So we you know, function as a resource like that. But again, now there's so many great books that are available in other curriculum that are available in organizations that have a heart and a goal to equip and grow the capacity and grow like, you know, people's capacity mm-hmm. to be anti-racist and engage in actively dismantling racism. So I would say, you know, I'm always like, educate first, educate first, start mm-hmm. with history. If like, Always start with the history first. If you're doing something and it's starting with, here are the steps. Here are your, like, don't do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Because well, you can because, go through the motions without understanding why. Exactly. I can't tell. My favorite kind of testimonial story is a, from a teacher, a white teacher in Iowa who said she did our course, a six-week course with us. And she said, in my, whatever, 23 years of teaching, and I was, you know, part of diversity and inclusion initiative. She said, they told us what to do, but they never told us why. She said, I learned more in this six weeks than I have in all my years of teaching. Wow. And we hear that a lot. Like people will say, but I do diversity work, or I do diversity and inclusion work, or I've taken these workshops, but I did not know this stuff. Well, that's because we need to start by feeling in the gaps, you know, we, it's like if we've been starved, you know, you don't say, okay, you've been starving all this time. Now run this race. No, you're like, yeah, get your nutrients, you mm-hmm. know, build up your muscles <laughs> and stuff <laughs> like that before you take off, you know, running. So that's my advice. If you're going to start with anything, a program or a book or something, make sure you start with history first. Well, now to wrap up part one here, you do have Brownicity and you do have these resources. So do you mind explaining mm-hmm. exactly what that is for the person listening who wants to, to go deep into this and they want to start with the history and they want to learn in a safe space? Just let them know how they can do that with Brownicity. Great. So Brownicity offers a membership site. And so we've created like an online learning community. You can enroll, you can pay, a, it's like $10 a month. This is our, mm-hmm. you know, starter year. So it's only $10 a month. <laughs> or $110 a year. And you go in and you can take, we have two starter courses or like one is called foundations. The other one is called what lies between us. It's the same content. It's just that one lies between us is typically used in churches Hmm. and foundations is used for like schools and organizations staff. So you get in there and you do those. And then there's all these other courses in there, like raising anti-racist kids and race trauma and resilience. And we will continue to add courses. So you will 
you know, as much as you want to keep going and be supported in your learning, you can do that. You know, you can talk to us in there. So it's its own little kind of school for you, cultivated mm-hmm. for people who want that supported learning. And of course, you could just read a book, but if you want the supported learning, that's what Brownicity's membership site is for. And it's for people who are committed to the learning journey and you have cultivated a space for you. Yeah, I love it. And one thing I want to point out, I I am currently going through the foundations one, and I know that you mentioned mm-hmm. it's for like staff and, and schools and things, but an individual can go through it as well. So for you listening, oh, yeah. yeah, don't feel like, oh, well, that, that doesn't <laughs> apply to me because you absolutely can and it will be very yeah. beneficial. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, yeah, I didn't mean to make it sound that way. What I mean is in person, I will teach it to an entire staff. But for example, as we get new staff, maybe they miss that. I mean, it's a part of onboarding for schools and communities. So yeah, you go through it at your own pace as an individual. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Lucretia. And I cannot wait for everyone to come back next week because we are going to dive more specifically into how to handle these conversations in a public way, like on social media, as a business owner and on a (laughs) podcast. So make sure you come back next week. Thank you. And that wraps up another episode of Podcasting for Coaches. If you'd like to connect with me further, you can do so on Instagram at Podcasting for Coaches. If you know it's time to finally get serious about starting your podcast, go to podcastingforcoaches.com and click on the Work With Me tab in the main menu to learn more about my one-on-one launch consultation packages or my self-paced online course. And I look forward to seeing the podcast that you create and put out into the world. Thank you.